Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Pixel Six. Hello and welcome to episode 147 of Pixel Sif, the show dedicated to indie games from Australia and around the world. My name is Fiona and tonight with me is my co-host Mitch. Hey, thanks for joining me. Look at us back in the studio. I know, isn't it exciting? I'm very excited. <laughs> I've missed this place. Yeah, it's great. And our guest this week is Chris Gully. Galia from 8Gig, and he's here to tell us all about their game Brimstone Brawlers, which came out recently on Steam. Hey, thanks for joining us as well tonight, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me. But before we get a bit more into the game, what are we first looking at, Mitch? Yeah, so we will be taking a look at the great lengths that people are going through to hack uh, games in, in single-player mode uh, to get characters, items, and other aspects of the game, quality of life changes that, uh, that they desire. All right, let's get into it. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. So we asked everyone, what do you think about hacking in uh, video games? And we're referring more specifically to Animal Crossing, the latest Animal Crossing game, uh, New Horizons. Um, it's exploding in popularity, but people have started to go into great lengths hacking the game to get characters or items or quality of life changes that they're desperately chasing so but how far would you go to get like an animal crossing character here a character named raymond is like a big deal yes raymond is the popular (laughs) one at the moment i i've seen pictures of him he looks awesome he looks cool i mean for me because i out of us here and i'm not the one who plays animal crossing at the moment besides sarah i just kind of get them and I'm like cool you're cool join my island I don't really chase them so it's a bit strange to me but I can understand how some people are after like a specific aesthetic or the rare ones but just the lengths that some of them have gone to get Raymond especially. (laughs) I haven't played an Animal Crossing game since New Leaf and uh, I think that was one that was like maybe the second one on the original DS I think that was the one but um, back then, this wasn't a thing because mm. there was no internet. You know, we just kind of like it was among our friends group. There are a bunch of Animal Crossing characters that kind of like rotated around between the people that lived near me and we used to play together. And we kind of just we didn't really understand what it meant to have a character leave or to join. We kind of just like assumed it was random. Mm. We never really never really occurred to us that we could get other characters. But I I, I myself have never really been drawn to modify a game or to hack into it to get what I wanted out of it. Uh, it's just not something that I particularly do. Um, Chris, as a developer, how do you feel about people um, hacking into games and like changing them pretty much for their own personal gain? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, actually. Um, I mean, if it's a single-player game, 
more power to you, in my opinion. Um, as long as you're not negatively affecting anyone else playing the game, I don't see any issue with it, to be honest. I think there's a big conversation of like the purity of it, I guess, mm. and like people criticizing. Like there was a big, there was a, uh, a one of the one one of the reasons that I loved that uh, someone was hacking into the game to put Raymond in their game so they could ruin the black market because apparently because because things are very commodifiable in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Yes, you can now start charging people for Animal Crossing villages, yep. and. I saw a uh, there was a subreddit that was very creepy, and I was like, where people are just trading Animal Crossing villages. Like, <laughs> it is a very big black market essentially, but um, people have gone to great lengths. Like within games, you can trade very rare items, things that you have to use um, Stark fragments and things to exchange and make things. Or the other popular one is Nook Mile tickets which takes a while to earn them in the game and people are asking for like ridiculous, like almost a hundred of them to get a specific character. So for those of us uninitiated, what are they? What, what are Nook So Mile in tickets? a way, Nook Mile tickets, uh, <laughs> in the game you do little things like if you water 200 flowers, you get Nook Miles. So it's basically a little achievement uh, way of rewarding you for doing things. And with those, you can buy Nook Mile tickets. And with those tickets, you can fly to different randomly generated islands within your game and sometimes they have villages on it. So some people will ask, hey, if you want this character, give me 100 of them. And then with those tickets, they can go find another character or something like that. Chris, have you ever worked on a game with an economy and that like players could kind of do this kind of thing like in, in your engine or in, in, your, in your creation? Uh, I haven't, unfortunately. Um, but it does not sound like a, a fun challenge to overcome, to be honest. Um, it's interesting that Animal Crossing kind of markets itself as a pseudo multiplayer game. Um, and I can see like a lot of issues popping up because of that um, with the black market and things like that. Um, but yeah, it definitely sounds like a challenging uh, task to overcome. It's interesting when games like this start to bleed into real life. And there was one person uh, called uh, a content creator called Pokey Ninja who was the one who ended up finding a Raymond and then basically hacking the game so people could get Raymond for free. But he was saying when you're a father and you see certain things happening, it hits a little differently sometimes with people and especially kids because Animal Crossing is quite a bright, fun game. So, of course, kids go into play it. It gets into the sense of worry of are they going to get their parents' credit card and pay money to get a character. It's interesting when it starts bleeding into real life. And that's when it's a worry. In doing research for this topic, I found a website, which I'm not going to name, that was essentially, it was essentially like WoW Gold almost. Um, and it's illegal to sell WoW Gold for, or it's against the terms and conditions, I don't know if it's illegal, to sell WoW, WoW Gold for actual money to other people. But people are totally doing it with bells and stuff uh, in Animal Crossing. So like it, it, that, that's where my research took me. And I found, I found multiple websites doing this. And it's a bit concerning that... It's like something that's completely out of control of the original developer's um, design mm. and people are using it to essentially commodify it. Chris, have you ever hacked a game or maybe used little cheat codes to try and get a little bit further than you probably could playing it just normally? Um, yeah, I'm not proud of it, but there's there's been a few uh, ARPGs I've played over my life and um, a lot of those... You know, they don't have big online communities um, and you're not really affecting anyone. But there's been some quality of life issues where, you know, maybe you can't uh, re-roll your talent tree that you've 
pumped uh, hundreds of hours into and accidentally placed the talent in the wrong spot. So I am guilty of using a uh, save game editor to um, swap out a talent or two um, over my lifetime. But when I do it, I always have this really strange feeling of guilt afterwards. Like my character is not as pure as it once was just following the game's rules. And that's, a, that's an interesting like way of looking at it because I don't hack games, but even just because on Animal Crossing, I time travel just a tiny bit. <laughs> I go like a forward or back a day, but even yeah. then I'm just, I only do it one day and I'm like, I, I can't believe I just did that. I could have just waited a day, I but I want to do it now. I messed with the fabric of reality. I have. <laughs> <laughs> now, we did, like Mitch said before, we did pose the question to everyone on our social media platforms. We asked, what Animal Crossing character would you do anything to get? And we got quite a few really interesting responses. Bridget on Facebook said, this girl, Marina... I already have the other two octopus villagers and would love to get her to complete the set. There's only three octopus characters in the whole game, so it's almost like a trophy if you have them all. Plus one of them is shaped like a takoyaki ball, fried octopus ball, which is both cute and creepy at the same time. (laughs) We had some on Discord as well. Andrew on Discord said, I think I would more likely play to remove ones, uh, pay to remove villagers. Boomer made a flat earth reference and that I'm not <laughs> sure if I can ever forget. Uh, we've also <laughs> seen a number of people actually like saying how they're kind of hacking in, in, a, in a way, uh, taking advantage of the amiibo cards system. So um, Analog Gaming in the Perth Discord says, I've seen many offers of people making their own amiibo cards. Uh, they can download chip info uh, using the NSC technology. And uh, this doesn't include new villages, though. I know Raymond and Audi, Audi, Audi. are especially popular. So in like people are taking advantage of the different technologies that the Switch can access uh, to get these villages. Yeah, because with the this one of the ways Animal Crossing can work, if you hook your phone up to with the app to the Animal Crossing, you can scan QR codes and get different outfits, right. and different things in it. That's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, so I think that might actually be a good place to end the topic, and we might switch to the next one. It's coming up soon. We'll be very coming up very soon. We'll be talking to Chris about their new game, Brimstone Brawlers. Mitch, what's Discord? Discord is an online chat service that most gamers use. Incidentally, you can also use it to talk to us at pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. Yeah, you can talk about uh, episodes, you can talk about upcoming topics, you can probably even coerce Mitch into playing a game with you online. That's not going to happen. That is going to happen. You're doing it. I'm saying that's happening. Sorry. Yeah, well... Join Discord. You should grow your beard back. pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. Remind me to delete that promo from the hopper. I don't like it. I feel like you say that every time we play it. <laughs> so tonight we're joined by Chris Galea from 8Gig. He's joining us this evening to tell us all about their new game, Brimstone Brawlers. For those who may not know, what is Brimstone Brawlers? All right, so Brimstone Brawlers is a uh, top-down couch multiplayer brawling game um, where you get to play as a bunch of strange characters um, inhabiting the Victorian city. So it's got a, a pretty strange context, and um, basically you play it on the couch with your friends and uh, beat each other up in-game. Uh, where did the idea come from? Uh, it actually came from a place I used to work. So I've been using game engines professionally for a long time, um, but for things like architecture and construction. And on Friday nights, uh, we used to have a games night after work in the office. So we used to play party games um, 
you know, on a PC with a few controllers. But there was no games that we could kind of practice at home and skill up and come to work the next week and beat everyone else and show off our skills. So um, I decided to start using my knowledge of game engines and then make my own game that would fulfill that uh, need. That's really cool that you went from a game that you, or something that you personally wanted and you've delivered it to everyone. Yeah, it's it's been really fun as well. Um, I've noticed that when I'm playing with the devs now, um, we when we're testing features, we end up just playing uh, for a couple hours longer than uh, desired um, <laughs> during testing. So yeah, it's great fun. Has the game changed much over its development, or did it mostly stay the same to the initial idea? Um, it's changed a fair bit. So um, it's become more and less uh, competitive throughout development. Um, so about halfway through, we decided to add more competitive elements to the game um, to you know facilitate uh, a wider audience. Um, so that that's been good, and then um, through doing that, we made a little little mistake and went too competitive. So uh, now it's got a lot more party game elements in it as well to keep uh, you know everyone happy. Um, but otherwise, it's always been you know a top down brawler where you can have a quick game, um, show off to your friends, and um, yeah. Is it difficult trying to find that balance of casual but also competitive? Yeah, it's extremely difficult. Um, there's a lot of players out there that have a, one of, a lot of different needs and wants from a game. Um, so we're still trying to, to draw that balance. But um, what it comes down to is if you have a good piece of game design, uh, it will generally you know, appeal to both sides of, of that. Um, yeah, it's, basically it's difficult, but we keep trying and we're getting closer and closer. How did you know that you had made it too competitive? Um, so too competitive, it, uh, people started taking it too seriously. So we have um, a few different maps throughout the game. Uh, there's for this, there's a station map, for example, where um, you know there's always a chance of getting hit by a train if you venture off to the, the platform and onto the tracks. And um, we're noticing that there was... Uh, a few players that were getting um, surprisingly irritated by that mechanic. So um, what we had to do then was uh, work out a way to turn everything back to kind of um, make it less serious and keep people having fun throughout gameplay sessions. Um, it, so we did that with a few different ways, but yeah, that's the gist of it. If you find that the game is not really shaping up to how you like it, do you first modify the map or do you modify the characters first? Uh, well, you're always... Well, I've noticed that we're always modifying characters to, to keep them balanced. That's a very important aspect. Um, but with the maps, so a lot of our maps are highly interactive. Um, so they do require a lot of tweaking um, to get just right. So... Yeah, we're always modifying characters, but the maps do require a lot of tweaking. We have a question here on Twitch from Chronicles of Kados. How does how do you design your characters and their moves? So the first step we have with designing our characters is uh, we make a we come up with an awesome idea. So that would just be like a um, 
napkin plan of a cool character. So uh, we'll take the Traveler, for example, where it's a um, a girl who she's traveling around. She has a big suitcase, and um, what's inside that suitcase is kind of a giant Lovecraftian monster. So that that was a really appealing idea to us. Um, and then the skill set kind of uh, evolved out of that visual concept, if that makes sense. Uh, because we're set in a Victorian industrial town, uh, the the characters' visuals are a big drive to a lot of the, the gameplay mechanics. So why did you decide the Victorian sort of era for the game? Uh, there's not enough games with, with the <laughs> Victorian style. Um, it's just like a... So uh, my background was in architecture as well. So that's... Uh, that's where I started my professional career in. Um, so I've always loved the Victorian buildings um, and kind of, you know, that, that time in history. So it's, you know, a big personal interest of mine as well. Uh, we got a question on the, another question from the Twitch chat. Um, this is from Matt G 3 d um, Chris, who was your favorite character to create abilities for and why? Uh, favorite character for abilities... It's probably the boxer. So we have a boxer character in game, and um, you know, I don't know much about boxing, but I I knew I wanted to get kind of the feel of a boxing match in um, in a kind of it's a kind of a mini game in the player's mechanics. So um, he actually has three charges of uh, dash ability, and every time you dash, it empowers one of your other abilities. So you have to make decisions um, whether you're going to dash twice in a row to get away from something or dodge a train or save them all up to do a, a cool combo. Um, so it kind of mimics a, a real boxing match. So how did you, you – it seems there's quite a few different characters and very different ones as well. How did you decide what to in, what characters to include or what to maybe keep back for a later date? Yeah, so, um, well – our budget's quite small, so that's that plays a big part in it. Um, we have been developing characters um, throughout the, the development of the game, so uh, we've had to prioritize the cooler, well, the ones that we thought would add kind of balance and um, different skill sets to the game early on. Um, so we've had to hold a, f a few of the cooler ones back, like the visually cooler ones, in my opinion, um, just so we don't. Uh, you know, released too many, um, I don't want to say difficult characters, but higher skill set characters uh, early on. So what was the biggest challenge that you and the team had when creating Brimstone Brawlers? The biggest challenge would probably be creating a multiplayer game with such a tight budget. So um, a few of us have worked on other titles, but this is the first game uh, we've worked on together um, to release into early access. So uh, deciding to choose a, a multiplayer game um, had its uh, obvious challenges. Um, and then again, doing that with such a small budget uh, really made it difficult. So we had to skill up a lot uh, between us, um, you know, to learn about uh, net code and um, optimizations and things like that. So. Uh, we have another question from the uh, Twitch chat uh, from you underscore fools. Um, and they wrote, did a variety of play styles influence your choices in character design? Yeah, they did. So um, 
throughout uh we've been running a closed alpha for a, a, about uh, a year now before we released into early access and we noticed there was a lot of different players from a lot of different games who were uh, super interested in brimstone uh brimstone brawlers so um to facilitate them we decided that um we'd use the kind of arch type uh, skill sets that you you'd find in a lot of fantasy games where there's you know the tanks and there's healers all the supports and the damage dealers um because i uh, we found that you know a lot of people have their favorite type of role to play in games like that um so we tried to replicate that a little bit in this brawling game so you said you were an alpha for a year um how, how do you know when it's time to move on to the next stage in development after being in an alpha yeah, so for us, it was easy. And it was basically when we were proud of the work we were doing and ready to release it to the broader community. So um, obviously, we enjoyed and were proud of the development a lot of the way through. But there has to be a point where um, you know, you're happy enough to, to let it out there and grow your community and um, you know, make the basically expand the play base. And now you're currently in early access, and that were hap- that was released very recently. What has the reception for the game been like so far? Yeah, so we've had an awesome reception. Uh, we've we've grown the community a fair bit, which is which is great. Um, we're always looking at uh, ways we can improve on that as well. So, being a multiplayer game, um, you know, we need to have the community there so uh, people can play games um, online, but um, we're also working towards uh, things to do in the downtime. So, you know, a, a little bit of single play content um, uh, would help as well. So, we're, it's gone well, but we're always looking at ways to improve. And you said it's just a, a couch co op game. Do you ever, uh, would you ever consider creating online capabilities further down the track in, like, in say, a year or so? Yeah, so that's that's one of the goals of early access. Um, so currently, there is limited online functionality, so you can actually host the server and play with your friends online. Um, but we really want to get that into a, a competitive area so um, players can play competitively online. And for that, we need dedicated servers and online profiles so you can, you know, uh, track stats um, and you know even things like matchmaking um, are all on the roadmap for early access. And it helps that you've already got a bit of a, a fan base and a community. So hopefully that will help you grow and achieve those goals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the community is really important because, um, you know, they keep us inspired with the project and they keep um, us working on it uh, just because they're so awesome. So it's great. Now we talked a bit about the game, but how did you first get involved with game development? Yeah, so... Um, like I said, uh, I started in architecture, which was interesting way to get in. Um, we used to use um, Unreal Engine to uh, show buildings and walk around them virtually in virtual environments. Um, so I was always using Game Engine for that, but you know there was just always a, a little bit more uh, creativity in me. So I'd go home and try and work on a game at night. Um, and that eventually led into working on Brimstone Brawlers uh, every night for the last few years. 
it's such a cool crossover because you wouldn't think that uh, architecture would use Unreal Engine to use that for their area of expertise. That's really cool. Yeah, it's it's fun, and I'm still doing the same type of work um, in aerospace now, though. So um, it's yeah, it's really exciting to be able to use these game uh, engine technologies for uh, you know different industries. Was there a moment where you really knew that like like I can I can use my skill for something else? Like, do you like did you have like one moment, or did it just kind of progress over time? Um. It, there was one moment I remember when I was doing some game dev late one night where uh, everything kind of just worked when I was using a gaming engine to, to make a game rather than using a gaming engine to make a virtual experience. Uh, it all seemed a lot easier. And, um, you know, I, that that's when I decided that I'd really enjoy, um, you know, perhaps instead of having a conversation about where a, a toilet should sit in the bathroom for an architect, it'd be awesome to have a conversation about, you know, how shiny a sword should be in the engine. Um, so yeah, that's what happened. How, how do you compare those two experiences? Like the, the using the same tools for different things. Like do you, uh, is one significantly easier than the other? Are you, are you challenged more in game development or in architecture? So, um, it's changed over time, to be honest. So uh, early on, there w- wasn't that many people using game engines for other industries outside of gaming. Um, but over the last few years, especially with Unreal Engine, we're seeing a big change where you know they're using it, um, you know, on big productions like um, the Star Wars productions, um, and you know, the the changes in real time graphics are getting so significant that. There's a lot of other industries uh, looking to Unreal Engine um, for real-time uh, rendering, and there's because of that, there's a lot more documentation on how you'd use it in um, other industries now. So, do you feel like that would move more people into game dev, or would it move more game developers into other industries? Um, could work both ways, to be honest. So it's. You know, they're pretty much the same skill set. Um, that's obviously, I went um, from architecture into game development, um, but it's all using the same tools in engine. So I, I can imagine, um, you know, a lot of engineers or um, architects or any other field that would use a real-time, um, real-time graphics rendering. Uh, you know, they could make the leap over and it'd be really interesting to see some of the creative ideas they come up with. Now you said before that um, Brimstone Brawlers is the first game that you've worked on. What was it like to create and release your first game and had such a good reception for it? Uh, it was both stressful and exciting. So um, leading up to it was obviously a whole lot of work to do um, to make sure everything ran properly and um, you know all the technical requirements were done. Um, but once that was all out of the way, you know, it's it was just fun to sit back and, uh, you know, we jumped on and played a lot of games for a few days. So it was great getting in there with the community and, um, yeah, playing those games. Have you played many games with the community? Is that something that you and the team will often do? Yeah, so we set up, um, we, we have something called a Brawl Night every week, um, at least once a week, where we open up on the Discord channel and... Um, let give people an opportunity to play with the devs 
Um, so we try and do that as much as possible. But yeah, um, the communities, especially in a multiplayer game, they're they're really important. They have a lot of insights that you might overlook, especially because we're such a small team. Um, so getting their feedback and um, insights and ideas is is really important. So we've talked all about the game and how you got your start in game development. But just to end off, what advice would you give to someone who wants to do this uh, game developing for a career? Um, honestly, just download uh, either Unity or Unreal Engine and jump onto Google and start doing some basic tutorials. They're, they're getting to the point where you, know, you can achieve a lot um, in engine early on and you can really learn the fundamentals um by just watching youtube videos so um once you've done that and if you you know find that you're enjoying yourself it might be a good idea to look into maybe a college or a university to increase your skills and um you know gain some more knowledge that way but otherwise just jump into engine and have some fun well, you can find Brimstone Brawlers right now on Steam. And if you want to find more information, you can actually head to brimstonebrawlers.com or at Brimstone Game on Twitter and Brimstone Brawlers on Facebook. Well, that's all about time that we have today. Thank you for watching or listening to episode 147 of Pixel Sift. This episode has been hosted by myself and Mitch. Thanks for joining us tonight again, Mitch. Thank you for having me. And thank you to Chris Galea for taking the time tonight to be on our show. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Pixel Sift is produced by Scott Quigg, Quig, Sarah Island, myself, Mitch Lowe, Daniel Ang, Adam Christo, and G- Gianni Di Giovanni is our executive producer. As always, we'll be sticking links to the topics we talked about in the show notes on our website, www.pixelsift.com.au. And uh, can you also come and join? You can also come and join us on Discord. Oh, we'd love to have you there. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord, where you can share your creative work, talk about topics and games and anything else. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. And uh, we also stream this show uh, on Thursday evenings on twitch.tv forward slash pixelsift. So if you'd like to get involved, ask questions and things like that, you can join us on Thursday evenings. And uh, while we've got you, if we'd like to, we'd like to ask you a favor, um, if you need, we need your help to share the show and tell a friend. Uh, so tell a friend, subscribe your brothers and sisters, and start someone's journey into podcasts. Because we know that getting started is tricky, but once you're in, you'll love them too much to leave. Our next episode will be recorded live on twitch.tv forward slash pixelsift on Thursday, the 11th of May at 7:30 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Um, actually, that's not May. That should be June. What am I talking about? Uh, but you can come join us and be part of the episode, like Mitch said. But next week on Thursday, 4th of June, it will be Pixel Sift Plays, where we play some of the indie games that feature on our show. That's all for this week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. 